Welcome back to Market on Close. NASDAQ rallied 20% this summer and is now down 10% from the peak in August. Let's bring in Michael Klarfeld joining us from ClearBridge Investments, Managing Director and Portfolio Manager to help us figure out maybe some ways to weather this storm. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me here. Absolutely. So let's get straight into some picks here, some companies that you like. The first one that stands out to me is Vulcan Materials. Is this a commodity-centric trade, a hedge a little bit to some of the inflationary forces? Yeah, so Vulcan Materials is the largest aggregate producer uh, in the United States. You think aggregates, which goes into you know uh, construction materials, so like cement or gravel. Um, and, uh, and and interestingly, while what they make is a basic material, in, in some ways it's not much of a commodity. And what I mean by that is we think about commodities and we think about prices seesawing up and down dramatically. but but um, Vulcan Materials has some of the best pricing power. The aggregates industry has some of the best pricing power of any industry we've seen. Uh, and, and just broadly speaking, pricing power is something we're looking for, right? So with, with inflation being a big problem, companies are seeing their costs going up. We're looking for companies that can more than offset that through price increases. So uh, in the aggregates industry, uh, they've never had a down year of pricing, which is a pretty remarkable statistic, and prices right now are running up double digits. We think that can continue next year as well. And we think that while there's uncertainties about the broader economy, given the infrastructure bill that was passed last year, uh, and infrastructure making up about a third of aggregates demand, we think that, that they should be well positioned sort of no matter what happens. Okay, so it, this is more almost like a policy play, infrastructure spending. Uh, we just heard from Colin Roche though that housing might be in for a bit of a slowdown. What about that section of the market? Do they have exposure to housing and residential construction? Yeah, they do. So residential construction is probably about a third of their their end demand. And and I I thought Colin made a bunch of great points, uh, you know, with respect to housing prices, and and obviously you know that could have impacts on on the amount of houses built. Uh, I think one thing that's important to keep in mind though is that I think. Uh, uh, housing uh, construction, the, the the number of houses being built is still pretty low relative to long-term historical trends. So while uh, you could see a decline, uh, we don't see a precipitous decline in the number of houses being built simply because we're still at uh, relatively low levels if you look at long-term history. Okay. So uh, do you want to see uh, more follow through from Washington? Is there a policy element? Does your team have a view on uh, spending or is the uh, momentum already uh, happening there as the train left the station the way you see it? Yeah, I think the infrastructure bill that was passed last year was uh, many hundreds of billions of dollars that will be spent over the next several years. So, so uh, you know, once a bill like that's passed, the money's going to get spent. So we're not looking for any uh, more policy to come out of Washington. It's one of the biggest, you know, bill infrastructure bills, I think, in, in, in history. Um, and it, it just will take some time for it to flow through into the economy. But you're also seeing it sort of at the state level, right, where you're seeing, uh, you know, sort of ironically or surprisingly, states are coming out of COVID uh, with pretty good fiscal situations, uh, which puts them in a good position to spend on roads and, and other types of infrastructure projects. So uh, it's not such a policy play. Uh, there is that element to it. And, and I think we take confidence from the fact that these infrastructure bills have already been passed and therefore will be spent. More than it is pricing power play. So because of the unique nature of aggregates, right? So it, it's not high tech, it's not sexy, um, but but um, it, it benefits from the fact that it's very heavy and doesn't sell for very much, which means you don't want to ship it very far. So the companies in this industry have kind of local monopolies, uh, which gives them terrific pricing power. So in a world where we're seeing costs going up, and worry about inflation, we're looking for companies with strong pricing power. And this industry and this company has some of the best pricing power of any company or any of the industry in the broader market. So it's really about an inflation hedge uh, as about as a company that can price its way through whatever we see uh, from an inflationary perspective. Okay, I like that explanation. Uh, Mike, another one that you guys like is Apollo. 
uh, private equity. Uh, what's the thesis there? They're gonna buy up all these companies that are down 60, 70% off their highs? Yeah, so a private equity is a big part of what Apollo does and certainly is its sort of uh, its heritage. But the biggest part of their business right now is is really in the retirement services business where uh, through a theme, they've become one of the biggest providers of, of fixed annuities in the United States. Uh, on the flip side of that, they're taking this this long-term uh, uh, retirement money uh, and investing it uh, creatively in a way that's different than how the ins insurance industry has historically done it. So historically, insurance companies were focused on writing policies and then taking that and just buying uh, bonds, essentially screen-traded securities, which there's nothing wrong with. But what Apollo has realized is that um, because of the long duration of the uh, um, uh, of the policies they're writing, they can go out and, and, and make long duration investments on the other side. And so uh, because of their size and scale and their investing acumen, um, it, it's less about private equity and more about some of these more creative financings that they're doing now. Uh, we'll see them, they're, they're almost in the news, it seems like every week with some new billion dollar financing to, to some company for, for um, you know, that provides a sort of bespoke custom solution for that company. So uh, our belief is that, um, uh, the, the, this is a company that's underappreciated by the street. The street has concerns about their sort of strategic pivot from private equity towards retirement services. That's reflected in the multiple, which is about 11 times earnings. Uh, we think um, that, that it's way too cheap. The company has a 3% dividend yield right now, so attractive upfront yield. We see earnings compounding in the mid-teens, uh, sort of for as far as the eye can see. So we see a very good total, prop, total return proposition from the 3% upfront yield and mid-teens earnings growth. And then we actually see the, the potential for significant uh, multiple expansion as well. So we think uh, Apollo, it could be very well positioned for, for strong gains for many years. Wow, okay, all right. Sounds like a long-term uh, uh, view that one can uh, hold on through. Uh, port in the storm, yep. uh, regardless where we go. Uh, Mike, great details. Really appreciate you bringing us the insight. Great stuff. Thank you. Sure thing. Michael Klarfeld from Clearbridge Investments. All right, two picks for you. VMC and Apollo.